Good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to be back here at Oak Park. Martin alluded to the fact that I'm uh, Lane's dad, which is true. Uh, so you may see some similarities in our gestures or in our voice. I recall uh, quite a few years ago when Lane was still in Bible college, I invited him to preach at Bow Valley Christian Church where I was the pastor, and um, he was probably 20, 21. Anyway, after the service, um, a few of the members came to me and confessed that partway through the service they were quite indignant because they were sure that Lane was mocking me because his uh, mannerisms and his uh, voice and inflection, etc., was so similar to mine. So perhaps uh, this morning some of you might think I'm mocking Lane, but that's not the case. We just happen to be father and son. Despite the fact that I uh, pastored for many years at Bow Valley Christian Church across town, Oak Park, or rather Park Hill, was for many years my preferred place of worship whenever I came to Calgary. During uh, my teenage years, I lived up in Edmonton, and my friends and I would occasionally hitchhike down to Calgary to spend time with friends or relatives like the Chapmans who lived here in Calgary, and we would always end up on Sunday morning at Park Hill Church of Christ. So I have a rather long history with your congregation, and now, lo and behold, uh, one of my sons is your pastor. And speaking of long histories, I um, need to mention the fact that you folks here at Oak Park have a, a long history of being on mission for God in your community. From those early days back in the Park Hill community to your commitment to the community that surrounds you here and your location at Oak Park, I, I want to commend your history of community engagement. How many of you have had the opportunity to uh, cross a river on one of these? It's called a river cable ferry. Now crossing a river on a ferry is much different than crossing, say, a lake on a ferry. The most significant difference is that a river has a current and that current is constantly pulling the ferry away from its intended destination. Sometimes it's a deceptively slow current, but sometimes after a rainstorm like we had last week, it can be a fierce and dangerous current. But the cable that's fastened securely from one shore to the other uh, ensures that the ferry and its contents arrive at its intended destination. The cable prevents the ferry from drifting off course and therefore failing to deliver the people and vehicles it carries to the point that they wanted to arrive at. So the river cable ferry is a great analogy for what I'd like to talk about this morning. In the business world, you'll often hear people talk about mission drift. And mission drift is what happens when a company sets out with a particular mission that they want to accomplish as a company. But maybe a, a, a year or two later, they realize that they have drifted off course. They're no, they're no longer addressing that particular mission or goal, objective. They've been distracted. Maybe they've been diverted. 
by the currents that swirl around them and have not ended up where they wanted to be. And usually, if that continues, they wind up stranded or wrecked on some distant shore. But businesses aren't the only victims of mission drift. Each of us as individuals are subject to mission drift, particularly those of us who are followers of Jesus and have committed to the advance of His mission with our lives. And and churches, communities of believers, just like Oak Park Church of Christ, are also subject to mission drift. Remember, we are the body of Christ, and therefore we ought to be integrally connected to the mission of Christ. So this morning, those are the two entities that I would like to address and talk about in relation to mission drift. Uh, Allow me to draw your attention, first of all, to a couple biblical examples that illustrate mission drift. And the first is Abraham. Now, perhaps you know all about Abraham, but then again, maybe you don't. You can read about him in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. Let me give you kind of a shortened version of that story. And beginning in chapter 12, just a few verses to set the stage. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. It's quite a mission, isn't it? Abraham and his wife Sarah are childless at the point of God's call on their lives, and they're senior citizens by our standards. Abraham is 75, Sarah is is 66, respectively, at the time. But they follow God's call, and he leads them into the land of Canaan, where God invites Abraham to enter into a covenant with him, And in that covenant, God promises all of the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants. Except Abraham doesn't have any descendants. Not an insignificant problem. And he and Sarah's biological clocks are pretty much running out of time. And as the years roll by, and I don't mean just one or two, but a decade to be exact, nothing comes of the promise And Abraham is tempted to disconnect the cable, so to speak, and to achieve the destination or the goal in his own power, by his own devices. Sarah suggests that perhaps they could have a child via surrogate, namely her servant Hagar. Now that's not an unheard of thing in that day. And so Abraham uh, takes his wife's advice, sleeps with Hagar, and she bears him a son named Ishmael. That birth takes place 11 years after God's initial promise. However, God tells Abraham that Ishmael is not the promised descendant, that he and Sarah, in fact, are going to bear a child. And at this point, Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 91. And both of them laugh at the idea. But sure enough, Just as God promised them 25 years earlier, Sarah finally does bear a son, 
the following year, and they name him Isaac, which fittingly means laughter. I'm not sure whether that was about their laughter or about God's laughter. Now, I provide all this background so that you have a context for what comes next. Abraham has been in a state of anticipation for 25 years. God has promised and promised and renewed his promise about him having a son. And finally, it comes to reality. Can you imagine how doted upon Isaac is by his two senior citizen parents? Not only is he the promised one, he is the only one. He is the object of all of their love and their hopes and their dreams. And then comes the dreadful day when God makes an unspeakable demand of Abraham. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, friends, I don't have to tell you that this is a very crucial moment in Abraham's life. It's the watershed, if you will. Is he going to stay connected to the cable, the covenant that he made with God to trust him and obey him, or is he going to disconnect from that cable and follow his own desire? After all, Isaac is everything he has longed and hoped for. He is the sole object of he and Sarah's parental love. Isn't he exactly what God promised and what God owes him? How how can he and Sarah possibly be happy without him? And isn't God's very promise, isn't it dependent upon Isaac remaining alive? And surely, putting to death your son is against everything that God stands for. Those are all the kind of rationalizations I can imagine making if I were in Abraham's shoes. But in spite of all of these powerful currents that are pulling Abraham towards his own desires, he does what God asks him to do right up to the moment that God stays his hand. And in the end, God grants him his desire. He gives him back his only son. He provides an animal for the sacrifice because of Abraham's willingness to obey and trust God. And so as a result, Abraham becomes the ultimate example of faith, of trusting and obeying. He doesn't give in to the current and allow himself to drift away from God's mission. Now let's contrast that with the nation of Israel, the the future offspring of Abraham and Isaac. If Abraham is the example of someone who doesn't give in to mission drift, then the Israelite nation is perhaps the prime example of a community that continually finds themselves drifting away from the mission of God and following their own desires. They too, like Abraham, enter into a covenant with God. And in Genesis 24, Moses reads the book of the covenant aloud to the people and and listen to their response. This is what they say as a community. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. 
we will obey. And yet, their history is one of disobedience. They failed to enter the promised land because they they wouldn't trust God to empower them for the task. And the next 40 years are spent wandering in the wilderness, including event after event in which they disobey and distrust God's leading. And once they enter the land, after God gives them a second chance, they fail to obey God's decree to completely wipe out all the previous inhabitants. And as a result, they suffer the consequences. Until finally, because of their disobedience, they are taken captive and exiled from the land that they have been given by God. It would seem that the nation of Israel was disconnected from their cable and drifting down the river much more often than when they were true to the mission of God that he had called them to. And as a result, they, they miss out not only on all the blessings that God had promised them, but ultimately they miss out on recognizing Jesus, the very blessing that they were designed by God to bring to the whole world. So there are a couple of uh, biblical examples of potential mission drift. But now let's, um, let's do the hard work, if we would. Let's turn our attention to ourselves and, and our church and ask the question, are we drifting from the mission that God has called us to? I think this is a question that we need to ask ourselves regularly and each other within our community regularly. Because we too have entered a covenant with God. When we accepted Jesus as Lord and were baptized into a relationship with him, we said yes to his mission. Do you recall that? Perhaps uh, Jesus describes it most succinctly in Matthew 6, where he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. That's the covenant summarized. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And God will give us everything that we need. You see, a covenant relationship is one in which both parties strive to benefit the other one. God wants to give us everything that we need. He offers us forgiveness, his spirit, eternal life, but also those things that we need in this present life to survive. In fact, the context of this statement in Matthew 6, where Jesus is reminding his followers not to worry about what they eat or what they drink or what they will wear. So God promises to provide all of these things that we need if we make his kingdom our priority, and live righteous lives. Mission drift in our personal lives happens when we begin to focus on what God promises to provide instead of focusing on his kingdom and living a God-honoring lifestyle. Could I just repeat that for you? Mission drift in our personal lives happens when we begin to focus on what God promises to provide 
instead of focusing on God's kingdom and living a God-honoring lifestyle. Staying connected to the cable is about trusting God and obeying Him. But when we start believing that we will do a better job of obtaining all the things that we need and want, that is the beginning of us disconnecting from the cable on our ferry. We think we'll have enough engine power to get to where we're intended to go. And then before we know it, our intended destination is out of sight. Abraham thought he could do that and decided that Hagar was the way to get what he wanted, maybe even to get what God had promised. God had to pull him back and help him get reconnected. Trust me, follow my mission. I'll give you what you need. It's not that our engine power isn't important. It is, but so is the cable. And we need both to be operating together. So how is your life going? Are you upholding your end of the covenant? Would you say that you're pursuing God's kingdom above all else? Would God refer to your lifestyle right now as righteous? Put more simply, are we trusting and obeying God. A couple weeks ago, back in my home church, Northern Hills, uh, Jamie was preaching and he reminded us in his message that Jesus isn't just an add-on. He was talking about purchasing a new phone and how all of these potential add-ons were available. But he said, in our lives, Jesus isn't just an add-on. And if that's so, his Mission isn't just one of, you know, many options that we can take or leave. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we are ambassadors of his mission. That's our primary role. That's our number one priority. Not earning a living, not carving out a career, not raising a family, not becoming successful. It's not that we can't do any of those things or that those things are wrong. It's that they have to be the result of us prioritizing God's mission in our lives. And what about us as a church? A community of Jesus. What, what are the currents that are tugging at Oak Park right now, trying to pull your community away from God's mission? Some questions to consider as a congregation. Are you content with Oak Park just being a comfortable place for you and your family? Have you become content with the option of staying at home and watching church on YouTube and not having to engage with others or be accountable to one another? Are you prepared to welcome opportunities to engage with the community and demonstrate the good news of Jesus, even if they're rather messy and inconvenient. And as you consider expanding your facilities, is that for your own comfort or to make room for seekers and new believers? This is a key time for your congregation as you consider the possibility of enlarging your facilities 
and a campaign to raise the needed funds. Because in the midst of those circumstances, friends, those of you who are members of this church are going to have to wrestle with the tension between the ongoing mission of God and your own personal desires. Just like Abraham did. Just like the nation of Israel had to do. I remember in one of our own similar times at Bow Valley, we were in a Q&A meeting about moving ahead and raising money and expanding facilities. And I remember one of our members raising their hand and asking this question. Um, if we do this, will we finally be done? Now, the unspoken part of that question was, are you going to ask us for more money down the line? And the answer was, and always will be, that the mission of God is our priority, both as followers of Jesus and corporately as his body. And until he returns, that mission will never be done. So I encourage you as individual believers and as the body of Christ to seek God's kingdom first, to live righteously, and to trust that God will provide you with everything that you need. I leave you with that image that we started with and these words from Hebrews, listen very carefully to the truth or we may drift away from it.